Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com slash give. Enjoy the message. We're going to talk about a concept called hero maker. And, and the summary of a hero maker is someone who uses what they have to invest in others and pour into others and help make someone else a hero. And what you discover when you do that with people is that it actually does something for you. So King Solomon of Israel, he has a couple writings that ended up in our Bible, and in one of his writings, he says this, he says, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now before I unpack this verse and unpack the thought and concept of a hero maker, uh, I just wanted to see how cultured this church is, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw you the name of an individual, and I want you to yell out with all the gusto inside of you, your outside voice, I want you to yell out, which hero that individual became. And we're going to start out really easy. So here we go. Peter Parker. <laughs> Spider-Man. That was a gimme, right? I'll give you a, a, another gimme. Clark Kent. Superman. All right, let's turn up the notch here a little bit. T'Challa. Black Panther. Way to go. All right, now, now we'll uh, go back in time, but this is pretty easy. Dr. Bruce Banner. The Incredible Hulk. Every generation knows Incredible Hulk. How about Jamie Summers? Bionic Woman. There's a couple older people here, right on. Here are things a half mile away. She could jump 30 feet. All right, now this is going to be really challenging. Uh, Ralph Hinckley. The greatest American hero. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. How about Benjamin Krupp? Captain Underpants. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. Now, here's the deal. If you got every single one of those correct, maybe you weren't shouting them out loud because that's not your thing, you are an absolute nerd, right? You should be with my son today who's at a comic convention in Wisconsin. But uh, we live in a world that is absolutely obsessed with heroes because heroes save the day. Heroes are winners. And so from very early on, it just kind of gets into our psyche that we'd love to be the hero. And so when Halloween comes you know, around, rolls around once a year, we, we dress up as kids in our favorite hero costume. Even as adults, if there's a party that we get to dress up, there's kind of something in us that enjoys it. Uh, in, in the 70s and 80s, there was a, a group, uh, there was a company that came out with something called Underoos, right? You'd, you'd have matching underwear and t-shirt as a kid, and you get to run around the house pretending you were a superhero. And then what happens is we kind of outgrow that stage, and we know, well, we'll never be Batman or a Black Panther, but what we will be is a hero in our own little way. So we start a YouTube channel and we're hoping we get a ton of subscribers and our views go viral. Or we post something on social media and our hope is that we get a bunch of likes. Or if we're on a baseball team and the bases are loaded and it's the bottom of the ninth, we hope that we're the person who hits the grand slam. We don't want to be the person in the dugout cheering on our teammate. Nobody says, oh, I have this dream, right? I'm on first base. Base are loaded, and I get to run to second base. Nobody says that. They all want to be the person who does something significant. There's nothing wrong with that. We just want to be heroes. It's just part of our psyche. And I don't think we ever think about this, but nobody's ever really born a hero. 
most of the people that we consider a hero, whether it's in a comic book or a movie, a TV series, or in real life, they often have a, they, they have a journey that starts off in a broken place. Nobody ever becomes a hero without a hero maker. Nobody ever becomes a hero without a hero maker. So if I could have chosen to be any hero growing up, it would have been Batman. I loved Batman, had Batman t-shirts, I had Batman paraphernalia. The reason I love Batman is he's disciplined, right? He values human life, he doesn't kill anybody. He's got tons of fun gadgets, which along with his crazy wit allows him to defeat pretty much anybody. And then, just put all that aside, Batman was crazy rich, right? He's just absolute crazy rich. rich. But here's, here's what we know about Batman. He's actually not a self-made hero. He had a butler. Anybody remember the butler? Alfred. Alfred Pennyworth, right? He was Bruce Wayne's loyal butler and closest friend. He was a, uh, uh, an ally to him. He was um, a surgeon, a father figure. He played many important roles in the life of Batman. And so Batman may be the hero, but Alfred was the hero maker. Now, if we just had time to pause for a little bit today and we looked at the areas of our life in which we're successful and the areas of life in which we feel pretty confident and we're doing really well, maybe that's as a parent or maybe as an employer or as an employee, whatever area that is, if we were just to pause for a while and think about it, I think all of us could connect the dots to the fact that at some level, we had a hero maker in our life. Someone believed in us. Someone gave us an opportunity. Someone encouraged us. Someone cheered us on. And then if we had the opportunity for everybody to share the names of their hero makers, it's interesting because they're not going to be recognizable names for the most part. They're, they're going to be names of individuals who are never talked about on the news and movies are never made about their life and they're never written about in newspapers or magazines. They're just people who behind the scenes use their influence and they use their connections and opportunities and they use what they had, their power, to pour into us and invest in us. And, and the question that I'm hoping you take the time to consider today and throughout the week is the question, how will you use your power? How will you use your energy and your influence and your resources and your opportunities, your authority? How are you going to use it? Less than 24 hours before his death, Jesus is standing before one of the most powerful men in the world at the time. His name was Pontius Pilate. He was the governor of Judea, which means he represented the Roman emperor in that region of the world, in Judea. He had absolute authority over the, the region of Judea. And so he has the ability, as Jesus is standing in front of him, to sentence him to crucifixion or to freedom. And he reminds Jesus of this. In fact, during the interrogation, he tells Jesus, I am in control and I have the power to do with you what I so choose. And here's how Jesus responded to one of the most powerful men in the world. He said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Woohoo! That's not something you want to say to your judge. Right? This isn't something you want to say to just anybody. That's a sobering statement. In essence, he says, hey, Pilate, the power you have, the influence you have, the authority you have, ultimately, it didn't come from the Roman emperor. It came from God. And what you have and what you hold on to is temporary. It's on loan. Eventually, it can and will be taken away. 
And this is such a great reminder for us because all power is stewardship. We have it for a season. And we are accountable for how we use it. Now, I think a talk like this, and I was very aware even putting this together, it's, it's a talk that's very easy to dismiss. Because when we talk about power and authority and influence, most of us don't put our names into, you know, an empty line and say, yeah, I'm that person, right? We, we think of the CEO, we think of our boss, maybe, we think of individuals who are celebrities, and we say they're people of power and they're people of influence, but what I hope we all can recognize today is that all of us have power and influence in different arenas of life. And in fact, let me just give you some examples, all right? Uh, some of you have political power. Whether it's on a local level, state level, some maybe on a national level, you're able to have influence uh, in, in politics. Others have social power, right? Just based on your personality, y- your ability to command attention. Everywhere you go, in the community or at parties or in your neighborhood, just your presence, you have social power. Uh, some of you, you have birth order power because you were born first. You didn't choose it, right? So growing up, you were bigger than your siblings. You were taller. You, you, you got freedom first. I mean, there was privileges that came with just the, the being born first. And then what often happens, even in adulthood, the siblings, in many cases, will still look to you because you were born first. There's marital power. Some people get together, and they are power couples. They even blend their names to make it sound really cool, Right? Or even in a marriage, even though we believe in equality of marriage between a husband and a wife, and just sometimes based on income or based on personality or based on how someone grew up, sometimes one will start to have a little bit more power in the relationship than the other. There's organizational power, right? You're a manager, you're a director, you're a CEO, you're in charge. There's positional power, right? You're a, a team captain. You are a coach, you're a teacher. You have a position of influence. There's family power. I know people who were born into families of influence and based on their last name, they have opportunities and privileges that other people don't have. They didn't get to choose it. They just were born into that family. There's financial power. As Americans, we all have financial power, right? We have resources to pay people to do things we don't want to do. Now, even by American standards, there are some who have more resources than others. And come on, if you were just to be really realistic about it and be really honest with it, people treat you differently when they know you have money. They laugh at your jokes, even when they're not funny, right? Or they want to be your friend. That's just kind of how we operate in America. We all do it. And then there's military power. There's civil power. There are people here who are police officers or they have positions of leadership in the community. In fact, even today, walking around, I saw someone with a, uh, a sheriff uniform on. And they were looking for your pastor, I am confident, but I, I don't want to start rumors. I just saw them walking around. Right? So the list could go on and on and on. But what I want you to see, and what I hope you embrace, and what I hope your eyes are open to, is that all of us have power. All of us have arenas of life in which we have influence. If you're a parent, come on, you have power. If you're a teacher, you have power. If you're a grandparent, an aunt, or an uncle, you have influence. And the power that we have is going to be leveraged for the good or for the bad. Rarely is power used in a neutral way. This is why many of us can tell stories about some of the darkest seasons of our life, and it's traced back to an individual or a group of individuals who used the power they had in an abusive way, or they misused it in some way 
and it hurt us. Maybe it was a mom or a dad. Maybe it was a step-parent. Maybe it was someone in your work environment. Maybe it was someone you were married to. And on the flip side, I'm guessing that all of us have stories of times we look back with shame about how we misused our own power and we hurt people in the process and we took advantage of people, whether it was intentional or unintentional. Now, the good news is all of us have stories of times in our life where there was a position of power that someone held on to and they had influence and they used it in a positive way in our life. And they used it to elevate us and they used it to help move us forward. Maybe they gave up their power to stand behind us and they risked their reputation for us and they restored us or forgave us when other people had kind of given up on, it, uh, on us. This is why Uncle Ben looks to Peter Parker and he says these very powerful words. He says, with great power comes great responsibility. All power is stewardship. It has been given to you, it has been given to me for a season, and at some point it will be taken away. So if you're a parent of young children, you have power over them, you have influence, but eventually they're going to grow up and become independent. It starts around five years old. Right? They just want to be their own person. If you are an employer, you will not be at the company you're at forever. At some point, you're going to move away, go to another company, or you will resign, or you will retire, or you will die. You don't hold on to your power forever. If you're an employee, you have tremendous power in how you represent the company you work at. But at some point, you're moving on. At some point, you're going to breathe your last breath. You do not hold on to power forever. So how are you going to use your power? Some people use the power they have to protect their power. I'm in charge, I get to make the decisions. Other people, they use their power and they share it. Some people use the power they have to take advantage of those with less power. Other people use their power to be a voice and to stand up for those with very little power. So how are you gonna use your power? How are you gonna use the power of your words? The power of your actions? How are you gonna use the connections you have? I was trying to think of a time in my life where I was very intentional in how I used my power. Because the bottom line is, most of us just go through life and we don't even think about the power we have. And so we're just not intentional how we use it. And I think the time in my life, and this would probably be true of most of us, when I was really intentional about how I used my influence and my words and all that stuff, was any time I wanted to date somebody. Right? Because I, I cast that hook in the water and I just kept... Reeling in, I'm like, man, I'm going to try to use my words to butter them up, and I'm going to try to use whatever I have to kind of get them to notice me. And I did this with uh, a girl who eventually became my wife. Uh, we were working at the same restaurant, Old Spaghetti Factory, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And there were about four or five other people from our college that worked there, but I had a position of power, and I realized it. My position of power was not the title I held, it was the fact that I was the only one from the college who owned a car, and so I gave rides to everybody. <laughs> that was my power. And I strategically used it when I started to like this girl, Randy, and she didn't want to give me the time of day. And so here's one of the ways I used it. This is not a joke, this is not a made-up story. This is how I would use it. When I started to realize I liked Randy, but she wasn't going to spend a lot of time with me, I would go around to the people that I gave rides to back from work, and I would say to them, here's the deal. We get in the car today. I'm going to ask Randy if she wants to go hang out with us at Denny's. Right? College student money here. And, and if she says yes, and you ever want a ride from me again, you better sure as heck think of a reason to say no. But I'm going to ask her first. So it would work. We'd get in the car. I'd say, hey, Randy, you want to hang out with us at Denny's? She goes, oh, that'd be fun. Let's do that. And I'd say, hey, Jack, you want to you come join us? 
Dave, I would love to join you, but I have laundry to do. I'm like, oh, that sucks, man. Uh, <clears throat> Tom, do you want to come join us? Yeah, I think... Tom, do you want to join us? Yeah, I think I'd like to, but I, I've got something going on. And so I'd go around and I'd say, Rindy, it looks like it's just you and I today. Mm, it worked, ladies and gentlemen. So intentional how I just used the little influence I had in that season. In the context of what we're talking about, you have the choice to use your power and your influence to be the hero or the hero maker. And just so we're on the same page, let me give you just a significant difference between the two. When we talk about heroes... Heroes love to stand on platforms. Now, this doesn't mean they're all extroverts, and it doesn't mean they all love giving speeches, and they all love standing on a physical platform. But heroes are people who just enjoy the spotlight to some extent. And the, the tension with this is I think this is just human nature. Heroes like to get noticed and recognized. They like to be celebrated. The focus is themselves, is on them. They, they like the accolades. They care very much what people think about them. Hero makers, they love to build platforms for others to stand on. Hero makers, they, they, come on, they enjoy the spotlight a little bit, and they enjoy the accolades, and they enjoy to be noticed. But they don't just use it on themselves. They say, I'm going to take this notice, and I'm going to give recognition to where recognition is due. I'm going to use it to elevate someone. I'm going to use this moment to put a spotlight on others. Last year, a great leader and philanthropist by the name of Bob Buford passed away tremendously successful in his own right. But I love how he defines success for his life. Here's what he uh, wrote. He says, my fruit grows on other people's trees. You want to know how I'm successful? I look at the people I've invested in and poured my life into and I've spent some time with and I just look at what's happened in their life because my fruit grows on other people's trees. That is a hero maker. They build platforms and they love doing it. For others to stand on and so if you want to do that with your life i'm going to give you three practical ways to do that and i'll just let you know because you're a group of really smart people these are almost offensive they're so dumbed down but as i thought about it even putting this talk together i'm like man i don't care how easy this sounds it isn't built into us in our human nature to do this and so number one would be this look for the good in others we have to train ourselves to do this. Now, for some, it may come natural, but for the vast majority of us, it's easy to see the flaws in others. It's easy to see what we would do differently. It's easy to see the weaknesses in others. But I want you to know every single human being has something good inside of them. And one of the things that has helped me in, in, in seeing stuff is I become a personality test junkie, right? Myers-Briggs, DISC test, um, certainly Enneagram test, like... What, what these tests do is help me understand that even if I'm unable to see it at first, this person has tremendous value, unless they're like creepy, then whatever. But, um, you know, they have something to add to the team. And this is true with our families, right? The kids that drive us nuts or uh, that maybe just cause a lot of tension at home, hey, they have something to, to, to add. And th this is why we have to step back from time and just say, God, I, remind me. And open my eyes to the value that this person has. So let me just, for a simple example, my daughter Alyssa, she's cleric, which means she's all about power and control. She has been like this since she was a toddler. She wants to be large and in charge, and uh, if she's not, it causes a lot of tension for the rest of us. And so you can imagine the anxiety she must have had a few months ago, back in January. She texted me, and she said, Dad, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but the van that you let me drive 
um, got into a hit and run. And she says, it's, it's devastating me right now. Well, of course it is because she's all about justice. And so she wants to track this person down and she's got anxiety that's out of control. And so I texted her back. And I just said, are you okay? And she said, I'm okay. And I said, all right, here's the deal. The van's drivable, you're not hurt. As, l- as long as it runs, you know, don't worry about it. And then she replied. Here's what she replied with. She says, okay, good. Because by hit and run, I mean I drove into a snowbank and then drove off. <laughs> Like she wanted to know my response and control my reaction before she even determined to tell me what really happened. This is just part of who she is. And when she was young and would be defiant, I would say to her, I'm not making this up, I would say to her in my frustration, Alyssa, you are so independent, you are going to be a tremendous leader someday. But right now, I'm your daddy and you're in my house, so you've got to listen to me. If you want to be a hero maker in the life of others, look for the good in them. See the positive and call it out. And to help you just have a simple tool on how to do that, I want to encourage you to memorize a sequence of just four letters. I work with our staff all the time in training them to do this. Here are the letters. I-C-N-U. And they're not an acronym for anything. They're just four letters. It's a little play on, on the words. I ask our staff regularly, when's the last time you had an I-C-N-U conversation with someone? I see in you a compassionate person. I see in you a tremendous servant. I see in you a great leader. People just drawn to you. I see in you someone who's just optimistic. You bring life everywhere you go. I see in you someone who deeply loves God or God deeply loves. I see this in you. Every human being has value and worth and significance. Do you see that in others? Second step that we can all have in our life if we want to be hero makers is learn to encourage others. Now, some of you are naturally encouragers in different environments, but most of us, we have to train ourselves to do this. It doesn't come easy for us. What happens is we go through life and we think everybody's doing fine. And so it's just not top of our mind, right? When somebody loses a child, when somebody is sick, well, then we realize, oh, I got to be encouraging to them because I see what's happening in their life. But if that's not in the forefront of our mind, we just think everybody's doing fine. The truth is, most people are not doing fine. They, they feel like they're losing in life. They, they feel like they're a loser as a parent or losing as an employee or losing as a spouse. And, and I don't think we have to go through life with negative, you know, uh, uh, outlook and perspective, but it's just the reality that most people just aren't doing okay. But we think they are, and so we don't mind pointing out their weaknesses, and we don't mind bringing them down a few notches or talking about them behind their back. Right, it's like when you're, you're driving and the person in front of you swerving a little bit or maybe you're hitting brakes too much or they're going too slow or they're going too fast. It's just like, they're an idiot. They must be under the influence of some sort. Right? Somebody needs to pull them over, teach them a lesson. It's amazing how quickly our perspective changes when we see the sticker student driver on the car. And it, then, then all of a sudden it makes sense why they're kind of wor- swerving a little bit, or it makes sense why they're breaking too much or going too slow. And I wish it was possible for every single person to have stickers on the outside that describe what's happening on the inside, because it'd be so much easier to show grace to them. So let me give you a little test here to kind of help yourself with knowing whether or not someone needs encouragement, because you look at someone and they look like they're fine or whatever. Here's the test whether or not someone needs encouragement. You might want to write this down. This is very deep. If they are breathing. (laughs) If your kids are breathing, they need encouragement. If your spouse is breathing, they need encouragement. 
If your coworkers are breathing, they need encouragement. If your boss is breathing, they need encouragement. If your cat is breathing, I'm sorry, but everybody needs encouragement. One of the greatest ways that we can encourage people, you know this from your own life, is, is with our words. And everywhere we go in life, we carry miracle grow and roundup. We are going to bring life to people or we are going to destroy people. This is why one of the great themes we see all throughout the writings of the Apostle Paul in the first century was the theme of encouragement. In fact, almost every one of his letters, you can find him challenging his audience to be a group of encouragers. To those following Jesus in Ephesus, he writes, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Everybody needs encouragement. Now, there was a letter written to followers of Jesus um, who uh, were Jewish, but they had walked away from Judaism. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. There's speculation on different people, but it really doesn't matter. The author of Hebrews writes to this group of followers of Jesus who had left Judaism because they were discouraged. Many of them were thrown in the towel. It was getting difficult because not only had they walked away from the faith that they had grown up in, they had walked away from many of their friends and relationships. Some of them had property that was taken away from them. They had difficult times getting jobs. It was not easy to follow Jesus walking away from Judaism. So the author of Hebrews writes this letter to encourage them. And in the letter, this is what they write. They said, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. In whatever arena of life you have a little bit of power and a little bit of influence, do not discount your voice. You are a hero maker when you use your words to encourage and build someone up. We had a dad recently at the church I pastor that just opened up to me and just felt like a loser as a single parent. And he's getting choked up even talking to me. And, and I looked at him and I said, well, let me call out some things that I've seen you do with your child. And I said, you, you matter more than you think you do. And what you're doing matters more than you think. And he started to cry, this grown man. Why? Because we all need encouragement. One of my favorite stories of all time is the story of Cheryl Pruitt. Cheryl uh, had a dad who owned a, uh, a small grocery store in a, in a rural country town. And Cheryl, during her summers would come into the store to help her dad, right, to clean up, to do little things. But her favorite moment in the summer was when the milkman would come into the store on a weekly basis because he would let her help him. She would kneel alongside him as she's putting milk on the, the shelves and, and, and he would look at her and tell her how important she was and how helpful she was and how beautiful she was. And he would actually rub her head and ask, how's my little Miss America doing? And she would just beam and, and he would do this week after week and then she would... The summer would come to an end. She'd wait for the next summer, and she'd be excited because he'd come in and give her attention. How's my little Miss America doing? Well, as she got older, that went from a childhood fantasy to an actual dream that she had for her life. And sure enough, in 1980, she stood in Atlantic City and won the Miss America title. And this is powerful. Not only did she thank God for his goodness and his grace and this opportunity, she, in her speech, thanked the milkman who ever since she was a young child would rub her head and ask, how's my little Miss America doing? And I think about that story every single day when I see my girls and I rub them on the head and I ask, how's my little Miss Millionaire doing? How's my little Miss, who's gonna take care of their daddy, right? There are power, there's power in words. 
They can change the course of someone's day, but also change the course of someone's life. And then, finally, you want to be a hero maker? Just be intentional to invest in others. There's a guy in our Bible by the name of Joseph. But nobody knows him as Joseph. They know him as Barnabas because Barnabas means son of encouragement. And his primary way of encouraging others was by investing in them, by spending time with them, by giving them opportunities. And one of the guys that Barnabas encouraged was a guy named Saul. Saul had had a conversion experience. He decided he was going to follow Jesus, but no other Christ follower wanted to be around Saul because prior to his conversion, he persecuted Christians. And they thought, this guy's fake. He's a fraud. He's going to get in here. He's going to spy. He's going to learn our names. We're going to be persecuted or put to death. Here's what we read in the book of Acts. Uh, We read that when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So he gives them opportunities. He's standing behind him. He's risking his own reputation. And we know Saul as the Apostle Paul. Barnabas never wrote a letter. He never wrote a book that became part of our Bible. But the Apostle Paul wrote 13 letters that became books in our Bible. Paul may be the hero, but Barnabas was the hero maker. We do not understand the power of investing in others. Just one more story. Joe Ellsby Martin. Joe Ellsby Martin was a police officer back in 1954. Anybody ever heard of this guy? No, I figured. I figured most of us had not. Right? He was a police officer in 1954 when a 12-year-old boy had his brand-new Schwinn bicycle stolen. This was a Christmas gift the kid had received from his dad, and so he was worked up. He was ready to fight. Well, Joe Ellsby Martin looked at this kid... And he said, hey, man, you are worked up right now, but before you fight anybody and before you go off anybody, you better learn how to fight. And so this police officer actually helped run a boxing club that taught kids how to fight, and so he invited this kid to be a part of it. Well, young Cassius Clay took him up on his offer. And, of course, the rest is history. We know Cassius Clay as Muhammad Ali. What a a powerful story. If you want to be a hero maker, you have to train yourself to look for the good in others. And you have to train yourself to encourage others. And you have to train yourself to invest in others. So who are you doing that with right now? What individual? What couple? Which guy? Which girl? Which man? Which woman? What woman are you spending time with to intentionally just say, man, I want to share some of what I have with them and give them opportunities? Today, I want to close by watching an abbreviated speech from Father Gregory Boyle. Back in the early 90s, Father Greg started Homeboy Industries, which is the largest gang rehabilitation and re-entry program in the world. Father Greg has made it his mission to find individuals who would never be heroes and turn them into heroes. Let's take a few minutes and watch as he talks about this. My alma mater, Gonzaga University, uh, called me and said uh, they were going to have a big talk on a Tuesday night with a thousand people. And so I, you know, uh, I said, sure. And they said, can you bring two homies with you? And I always pick homies who have never flown before just for the thrill of seeing gang members panicked in the sky. (laughs) I've never picked anybody more terrified of flying than this guy, Mario. He was just absolutely petrified. In fact, he was hyperventilating. (gasps) And we hadn't even boarded the plane yet. 
And then our, our flight crew arrives and I see two flight attendants, females, and they both have very large cups of Starbucks coffee and they're schlepping up the front steps. And Mario goes, when are we gonna board the plane? I said, as soon as they sober up the pilots. <laughs> I should tell you that Mario in our 30 year history at Homeboy is the most tattooed individual who's ever worked there. His arms are all sleeved out, neck blackened with the name of his gang, head shaved, covered in tattoos forehead, cheeks, chin, eyelids that say the end so that when he's lying in his coffin, there's no doubt. <laughs> and so I'd never been in public with him and we're walking and people are like this and mothers are clutching their kids more closely. I'm thinking, wow, isn't that interesting? Because if you were to go to Homeboy on Monday and ask anybody there who's the kindest, most gentle soul who works there, they won't say me, they'll say Mario. He sells baked goods at the counter at our cafe. He's proof that only the soul that ventilates the world with tenderness has any chance of changing the world. So the nighttime talk comes and it's a thousand people and I invite them up to share their stories in front of all these people for five minutes each. They were terrified, but they did a good job. And honest to God, if their stories had been flames, you'd have to keep your distance, otherwise you'd get scorched. I invite them up for Q&A, and, and I said, yes, ma'am, and a woman stands, and she says, yeah, I got a question, it's for Mario. First question out the gate. And Mario steps up to the microphone. He's a tall drink of water, skinny, and clutching the microphone, and he's terrified. Yes. And she says, well, you say you're a father and you have a son and a daughter who are about to enter their teenage years. What advice do you give them? What wisdom do you impart to them? And Mario clutches his microphone and he's just terrified and he's trembling and he's getting a hernia. When finally he blurts out, I just... And he stops and he retreats back to his microphone clutching terrified retreat. But he wants to get this whole sentence out. I just don't want my kids to turn out to be like me. And there's silence until the woman who asked the question stands and now it's her turn to cry and she says, why wouldn't you want your kids to turn out to be like you. You are loving, you are kind, you are gentle, you are wise. I hope your kids turn out to be like you. And a thousand total perfect strangers stand and they will not stop clapping. And all Mario can do is hold his face in his hand so overwhelmed with emotion that this room full of people, strangers, had returned him to himself and they were returned to themselves. And I think you go from here to stand with the demonized so that the demonizing will stop. And you stand with the disposable so that the day will come when we stop throwing people away. And you stand with those whose dignity has been denied and you stand with those whose burdens are more than they can bear and you stand with the poor and the powerless and the voiceless, make those voices heard. When you make it your life mission to look for the good in others, 
to encourage others and to invest in others. Whether you think about it or not, you become a hero maker. Now the first step for any of us in becoming a hero maker is to surrender our lives to Jesus. If you've never done that, I want to encourage you to consider what it looks like for you to say, I'm no longer going to live for my world and my kingdom and my success and all about me, me, me. I'm going to live for something bigger than myself. Because when we surrender our lives to Jesus, you know what he calls us to? He calls us to die to ourselves. He calls us to serve others. He calls us to sacrifice on behalf of others. He, he, he calls us to use our words to build others up and to encourage them and to forgive them and to help them. In essence, he doesn't use the word, but he calls us to be hero makers in the lives of others. So when you look at your life, if you say, man, unintentionally, I've become the hero of my own story. I challenge you to surrender your life to Jesus and say, I choose to follow you. Maybe you did that years ago and you've just kind of drifted away from that. Today's just a call back that God has something bigger. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.